Welcome to UAB Techno, a podcast about all things technology at UAB. I'm MJ Moon. And I'm Jessica Reed. And we're your hosts from UAB IT. Welcome to episode five of Techno, where we're going to bring you all the things that are going on at UAB technology related. So let's get started. Keeper is a password management software free to all UAB faculty, staff, and students at UAB. It's an easy way to keep your password secure and all in one place. We created a video as part of our new Getting Started series that will walk users through signing up, and you can find that on our YouTube channel or in the show notes below. So to register for Keeper, all you need is your UAB email address, a master password, and a security question and answer. I installed the Chrome extension as well as the mobile app. I was able to add it to my autofill options on my phone, so now all 112 saved passwords can be used across my devices. Keeper goes beyond storing your passwords, though. They also have security audits letting you know how secure your passwords are, including which ones have been reused and which are weak. It was interesting for me to see the saved passwords for accounts that I forgot I totally had. How, how do you have 112 passwords? That's an excellent question, and I was also very surprised. I've been using Keeper for about a month or so now, and I really love it. I admitted here before that, you know, you have a little bit better password process than I do. So in addition to signing up for and installing Keeper, I also went through each of my existing accounts, which I only have like 30. And I just had Keeper generate a secure password for each of those. Then I had to go into those online accounts and reset those passwords, which took a little bit of time. But now all of my accounts have their own unique password and they're much more secure. You can even set your account to self-destruct if someone tries to access your vault and has three failed attempts. So overall, I just feel a lot better, more secure, and it's really nice that it autofills both on my phone and online. And it's just great. So go check it out. So even though we aren't on campus, the Tech Connect team is still hard at work and available to help you with your tech needs. Tech Connect is seeing some updates to their website and online ordering. Jessica has been working close with the team to help expand their store's reach. Jessica, what has Tech Connect been up to? Yes, well, Tech Connect has always had online sales, but the way it worked before was that you would order online and then Dell or Microsoft would mail Tech Connect the device directly. You would have to go into the store, pick it up, and while you're there, the Tech Connect staff would do some configuring and set up basic software. Now they're able to ship that new device to you directly. So you can order online, you can get the same benefits of ordering through Tech Tech Connect, which are academic discounts, being part of our laptop program, which gets you service and warranty coverage. So the configuring and software setup will still need to happen, but we've put together a welcome kit that makes it super simple. So you're still getting that same service without having to go into the physical store. And of course, the staff is still available to help you if you run into any issues. This new setup is going to help with current pandemic response and having to work remotely, having the hybrid learning and all the things that we're doing. But it's also going to be great in the future for people who want to get their laptop before they come to campus. And then it also allows us to offer these same benefits to online students at UAB who may never ever set foot on campus. Overall, it's just a great next step in the evolution of the store. The Tech Connect staff has also worked with each school at UAB to come up with recommended systems so you can know what type of machine will be best to help you be successful. So when you're in the market for a new laptop, make sure you go check that out so you get the device that will best help you. Dell runs various promotions and they have one going on right now for back to school. It's a $100 rebate off of a new Dell machine of $499 or more. We'll link information in the show notes about how to get that. Tech Connect can also get you hooked up with academic discounts for Apple. Apple isn't part of the laptop program and the coverage that that offers, at least not yet. 
TechConnect has been approved to become an on-campus Apple store, and once that's rolled out, Apple will be fully rolled into that same online ordering and laptop program coverage. With that, they will have demo machines in the store and be better able to help students, so that's really exciting. But until then, you can get that same academic pricing, learn about everything that we have available, find your recommended systems through the TechConnect website, which is uab.edu slash techconnect. So as a creative, I touch Adobe every day, but you don't have to be an artist to make use of those applications. If you're nervous about getting started, Adobe accounts through UAB have access to Education Exchange, which is a platform filled with courses and tutorials that will walk you through projects and applications. Faculty and staff have access to LinkedIn Learning, which I personally love, if you can't find what you're looking for on Education Exchange. And whatever you learn from Adobe in your free time, you can take those skills into the classroom or into the workforce. Yeah, I think we talk a lot about Adobe from the point of view of students and how helpful it is because, you know, students are more of what people call digital natives. You can create more dynamic content for your personal lives or you can enrich the work that you submit for classes. But from a faculty perspective, it's also a tool to better incorporate digital literacy into your courses. And like MJ mentioned, the Education Exchange offers a lot of helpful tips on how to use that platform in that way. If you want more information about Adobe at UAB, you can head to go.uab.edu slash Adobe or find the link in the show notes. We've covered virtual meetings in this podcast. I'm sure that we're all very familiar with them now. Zoom seems to be really popular, but Microsoft Teams is another platform and it's what our team uses so much. There's a lot of features that are making Teams meetings and Zoom meetings very comparable. I think Microsoft has really listened to customers. So MJ, can you tell us a little bit about what those changes are? Yeah, we're going to talk about three of the major updates. The first being the raising hand feature. So if you have a question or comment and you don't want to interrupt the person speaking, you can just raise your hand. It shows a cute little icon next to your name and lets the speaker know that you have something to say. Second is roll call. So meeting organizers can now take attendance during a meeting. To get your attendance report, you select show participants, then download attendee list. This report will download a file that can be opened in Excel. And the file will contain the name, the join time, and the leave time of meeting attendees. The final one is meeting three by three. So one of the biggest issues that Teams users had with video call options was that only four users could be seen on the screen at a time, but they have now increased that number to nine and plan to roll out more in the future. Okay, so right now I can see you on video in Teams and you have a really cool background going on. And I hate to admit this because I've seen it in so many meetings, but I don't know how to do that. How do I set a virtual background. Custom backgrounds can be done in Zoom and in Teams. We have a new video out that's called How to Change Your Background in a Virtual Meeting. It's on our YouTube channel and can be found in the show notes. So now I can be one of the cool kids. It's going to only be like 100 days into remote working that I've figured out how to change my virtual background. Thank you. You're welcome. So MJ, I finally done it. Oh my gosh. I've started using OneDrive. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. This is a really big deal for me because I love, 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 love Box. But for how much we use Microsoft and knowing how well the Microsoft products sync together and OneDrive syncs through all of those and the devices that you're using, I want to more fully experience it so that I can help communicate those benefits to the UAB community and people can make choices about 
which one best fits our needs. So far for me, the best difference is how mobile friendly it is. Using Box on mobile has not been very great. Um, in Box, we have set up our access for everyone on our team where we can all easily access our project files, jump in where we need to. It's really necessary for a collaborative team like ours. But with OneDrive, individuals own and share their files, so it's a little bit different. To replicate a similar team setup, we're gonna need to use SharePoint. Right now I'm working on how I can replicate our box experience with SharePoint. When Microsoft would roll something out, I would be like, oh, this is gonna be great because Microsoft has always not been my favorite thing. But I think that they're coming really far. They have made a lot of changes to their platforms. And I think when I think of Office 365, I mostly just think Word, Excel, or PowerPoint, but there's so much more to it. So I'm becoming more of a Microsoft person and I will help you guys if you have a bias against it as well. So I'll keep you posted in my exploring. I'm really interested to see the collaboration benefits using OneDrive to see what it's like to work on the same file with somebody either throughout the entire project or even if it's possible to work on something at the same time. I feel like that's my biggest hang up with Box. That's what I'm interested in exploring. Well, and I've seen a little bit of that with Teams. If I post a file in a chat, I can see if you have it open where you are in the document. I can see you adding things at the same time. I'm just not sure how it works. So I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna get to the bottom of this and do some investigative reporting for all of our techno listeners. We talk a lot about dissecting emails in order to tell if the message is phishing or not. And the best thing to do is to hover over the sender's email address and any links to check that the information matches as the message is presenting. However, hover isn't an option when you're looking at an email on our phones. So instead, you should push and hold. When you do this, you receive options like open, add to reading list, copy, and share, but it also gives a preview of the entire link, and this will show you whether or not the sender is sharing a link relevant to the email. It's important to still pay close attention to the format of the link. You would never want to visit uab.ed.u instead of uab.edu, and fishers are sneaky, and it's important to be suspicious. You can report a phishing email by forwarding it to phishing at uab.edu or report with a phishme reporter. I recently had an email that I wasn't sure if it was phishing or not. It turns out that it was one of those things I created an account for that I didn't remember that I had. <laughs> Keeper was like, um, you have in this account, but I thought it was a phishing email because I didn't recognize the email address that it was coming from. But I was looking at it on my phone and with the press and hold method, I was able to tell that it was an actual website that I forgot I signed up for. Well, it's good that you were being cautious. You said uab.ed.u. I have never seen that before, but I've seen things try to come through as like uabschool.com where they're trying to get you to fall thinking that it's really that platform. Right. And every time that you say that it's important to be suspicious, I just think of those TikTok videos that are like, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. No, that's not right. Be suspicious. <laughs> that's what I want to say. So today we're going to be talking about how social media influences current events, and this is including user-generated content, trending hashtags, and the fast spread of information. I have been thinking about this a lot recently. It's something that we're experiencing, and we don't really know what it's doing, but we're all participating in it. So user-generated content is text, videos, images, or reviews created by customers or the community rather than brands and organizations. 
Do you feel kind of familiar with user-generated content? It's all the stuff I post that my grandma reads and likes, right? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So this content is influential because it's based on authentic experiences and social content from individuals kind of carries a different message. And this is similar to companies using like celebrities and influencers to market a product or a service. Um, so user generated content lets the authentic customer tell their story. And then it kind of feels like we can trust them because their experience seems real. This isn't just effective for brands and organizations. Social media gives anyone the ability to share their experiences, to inform, bring awareness, or just share their story. Users will use hashtags or keywords to help their content reach a certain community or viewers. Do you feel like you um, have any content that you used any hashtags or keywords that kind of took off? Yeah, I think I've done user-generated content in an intentional way and then also just in a social way. I try to be really cautious about what I share and know that like I have a lot of followers who are people that I work with or who have different backgrounds. And so I just want to be really cautious that things can follow you. So I am careful in that way with what I share personally. Um, but I do share things that are relevant to me. And I also put out reviews on companies when they do a really great job. I want to share that. I want to let people know this has been my experience. And then I've also, I had a blog for many, many years, and that's where I would use a lot more of the intentional approach of hashtags and keywords and things to try to make it easier to find. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I like that you brought up intentional and unintentional because that's something I didn't even consider. But sometimes if we mention certain words or even like the brand of a, say you post about a DIY project and you post about an Elmer's glue and you're talking about how much you like that Elmer's glue for your kid's project, well, that's still user-generated content to promote their brand. It's keywords and hashtags like that that kind of um, continue on conversations about those things. And because hashtags are used across social platforms, it makes it easier for people to share the same message in a different format. Whether it's trending or not is determined by a combination of message volume and time. So if a new topic is suddenly being heavily discussed within one day, it can be considered trending, while topics that continue for more than 30 days is just considered news. This deep increase of trending and user-generated content means information can be spread rather quickly. At one humorous example I like to think about when thinking of this is um, considering when Betty White is trending on Twitter. The first thing that people will assume is that she's passed away and people are talking about a memoriam, which is just very, very sad. But instead, it's just ABC is showing a movie that she's in and 2000 people tweeted within the last hour about how much they love her. So then the other people start to get onto Twitter and they see that she's trending and then they talk about how she's trending for reasons that they didn't think she was trending. And then later on, when the influx of messages dies down, it's no longer considered a trending topic. So that kind of brings us to the importance of double-checking social media for accuracy. Several platforms have started to take this into their own hands by adding disclaimers or resources below content that may share inaccurate information, but it's also important for us as users to do the research on our own as well. And we can start by looking through the hashtags that are associated with the topics mentioned, reading the comments below, or just doing a Google search. It's really important for us to stay informed. Well, and I think just taking that ownership of making sure it's accurate 
Like I've I've read that people will read the headline of an article and that's what they'll remember. So even if the article information is something that does not exactly line up with that, they're going to remember what their first assumption was of that headline. Make sure that what you're sharing truly represents how you feel because it, it is your online presence and your online identity. And I was telling my seven-year-old son this weekend that I read a, a little factoid that we live closer to the time period that T-Rex lived than T-Rex was close to Stegosaurus. But I was telling him that and he was so like enthralled. And then I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't check that. It doesn't have to just be trending or big topic things, just anything that you share and just making sure that you read. Right. I think that's just our role as conscious citizens is just to make sure that we're aware of things. I think that's a really great way to do that since we're all so ingrained in social media. We hope you found this helpful. If you have any topics or questions for us, feel free to send us a message and we'll be happy to address those. UAB Techno is produced by UAB IT Communications and Marketing with Carrie Bean, Jessica Reed, and MJ Moon. Music from Kevin McLeod.